Our next speaker is uh, Christina Guo. I hope I pronounced that correctly. She's a medic whose current job consists of breaking bad news and prescribing Maxilon. That's an anti-nausea medication for those of you that don't know. She's easily distracted on ward rounds by hot air balloons and odd smells. And she could never be a surgeon as she enjoys sedentary activities far too much. She spent a year staining stem cells in the human retina and quite enjoyed it. Please welcome Christina. Every story about a hero hinges on the presence of a compelling villain. And we all like to think that tales of scientific triumph are about groups of balding men collectively unlocking the keys to human existence. My brief encounter with the laboratory taught me that research is fraught with villains. Now, most great epidemiological studies begin with someone surveying a small group of medical students, and that's what I did yesterday afternoon. I asked them about what um, threats they encountered to their short research projects, and the most ubiquitous answer that um, came forward was the Modern Ethics Committee. <laughs> now, I like to think of this as a group of men and women, middle-aged women with short hair, Welcome, members of the Ethics Committee embedded in the audience tonight, who meet once a month only to devour the most unsavoury triangular bread while watching wads of research applications going slowly through a paper shredder. <laughs> and this, ladies and gentlemen, brings me to my science hero. This is a man who defied... This is a man who lived in a time where the Ethics Committee did not wield such powers, in fact, he defied almost every principle that the Declaration of Helsinki set forth, maybe apart from operating on Hungarian midgets. His name is William Beaumont. William Beaumont was a man born in the very exotic Lebanon, Connecticut, in the year 1785. In 1809, he traveled to New York to begin an apprenticeship under a Dr. Powell. Now, in those days, medical schools were relatively uncommon in the US, and most people undertook an apprenticeship under an established doctor. He later traveled uh, to Vermont with Dr. Powell, and in 1812, the Third Medical Society of Vermont, I'm not sure why there are three, um, approved <laughs> that William was allowed to practice physic and surgery. Now, back in those days, physic was the term used to describe medicine, and I can't wait for this term to be brought back in vogue. <laughs> Later that year, at the age of 26, Dr. Beaumont enlisted in the US Army as a surgeon's mate. In his diary, he recorded that he spent two days and two nights straight amputating arms and legs. After the war ended, he decided to return to married life um, and set up a, practice, a private practice in New York. Naturally, that got very boring, and he re-entered re the army four years later. Now, this time he went to Fort Mackinac on Mackinac Island, which is a small military base. If you cast your memory back to this time, it was June 1822, and um, the American Fur Company was based on this island, and it was bustling with activity. At the time, uh, Dr. Beaumont was working on the island, looking after wounded soldiers and um, other labourers, and a gunshot breaks the silence. And a, 
uh, a laborer, Alexis St. Martin, was blasted in the, uh, in the epigastrium by the accidental discharge of a shotgun fired from about three metres away. Dr. Beaumont rushes forward to the scene. He examines the wound, estimates it to be about hand-sized, decides that the injury is far too serious and treatment will be futile, but of course he goes ahead and operates anyway. He cleans the wound to the best of his ability, clips off a few bits of rib from the edges and applies a poultice, basically a blob of gauze um, for which 3M now holds the patent 109523. <laughs> so what happens next? Um, his patient survives. He's left with a fistula connecting the stomach um, and the skin. And whatever was fed um, through the mouth would leak out. So Dr. Beaumont decides that he'd try to feed the patient rectally for about two weeks until the wound healed. Um, this seemed to work. And like all great doctors, Beaumont made the most out of his patient's misfortune. He enlists um, the man to become his handyman, slave, um, given the pittance that he was paid, and guinea pig zero. Um, in those times, the um, workers and doctors lived in completely different social spheres. And to make matters worse, um, his patient Alexis spoke only French and the doctor English. They spent a good amount of time together, including a couple of Christmases, but the relationship somehow didn't flourish. <laughs> None of them hindered Beaumont's experimental pursuits. He came up with a number of simple experiments, um, and I tried to recreate this during my lunch break today. So various items of food tied to a piece of string. He would... <laughs> he'd insert um, these items um, of various sterility through the fistula. Um, here's a short list um, from his journals. This included a thermometer, metal spoons, um, boiled corn beef, raw cabbages and salted pork fat. His experiments often left his subject feeling lightheaded, nauseous or constipated. He also extracted various samples of gastric juice from the patient's stomach for analysis. He noted that when you put um, uh, when food was digested in a test tube, it would take approximately 10 hours as opposed to two hours in the human stomach. Now, the clever ones in the audience might say, well, this is, you know, the test tube's not the sort of optimal temperature for enzymatic activity, but he was quite a clever guy and made sure that the tubes were placed in, you know, a water bath that were approximately 35 degrees. He deduced that um, whatever was in the gastric juices was important for digestion and also found that the, one of the um, substances was hydrochloric acid. Another experiment he performed consisted of looking at the effects of temperature for digestion and obviously um, body temperature seemed to be optimal. He also found that various foods had different digestibility. So for example, vegetables were relatively difficult to digest and meat quite easy. He also found that um, when the patient was, um, event became quite irritated by these large number of experiments, this seemed to hinder digestion. So um, he documented that 
being angry was not so good for the digestive process. <laughs> Throughout this time, um, Alexis actually made various attempts to escape um, and eventually um, left for Canada. Now, Dr. Beaumont was very persistent and um, wrote to him on many occasions asking for him to return. Um, this was very politely declined. However, he did um, keep very meticulous records of all his experiments, and this was later published in the book Experiments and Observations on Gastric Juices and the Physiology of Digestion. This settled a very long series of scientific debates on both sides of the Atlantic on whether digestion was a chemical or mechanical process. He also examined the various um, parameters um, that affected digestion, and many of his theories still hold true today. So um, his patient, Alexis, lived to the ripe old age of 86, while Dr. Beaumont slipped on some ice um, and died at the age of 58. Now, I'm delighted that I don't live in an age where a doctor could just put uh, pork or cabbage down a fistula. Um, but I can't help but admire Beaumont's ability to recognise experimental platforms in the most unlikely and primitive situations. Now, you may ask, do his findings justify the suffering that he imposed on another human being? Or are middle-aged women sometimes correct? And is Beaumont really the hero in this scenario? I'm going to leave you a few with you a few words from the great P.G. Woodhouse. I'm not always good and noble, I'm the hero of the story, but I do have my off moments. Thank you. <laughs>